Uh, my name is Pastor Mike. I am uh, the teaching pastor here at the church, and it's my honor to, to preach this morning. And so I want to uh, look at our, our text this morning. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and, and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, would you open up our minds and hearts, Lord, to receive your word gladly, Father? Would it go in and do its work? Lord, we want to be the kind of people, Lord, who conform our lives, Lord, to your truth. We want to live the way you've called us to. And so, Father, I pray, God, you would help us this morning. In Jesus' name. All people said? Amen. Amen. Let me set up the context of this verse this morning. This is actually in the very beginning of the book of Acts, and it comes as the very last thing, the very last words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. In fact, the very next verse says, when he had, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so these are the last words before Jesus ascended into heaven. So he had come and accomplished all the things that he had set out to do. He had been born of a virgin and lived a sinless life to demonstrate what it looks like to live righteously and, and, and to live for God. And, he, and then he died on the cross in order to pay the price for our sins so that we might be saved. And then he rose from the dead in order to show his power over death. And now his disciples, the, the context of his disciples are asking, okay, Lord, what's next? Now what? You've done all these things. You've, you've done everything that you had prophesied, that prophesied about you, and you said you were going to do. Now what? And this is Jesus' answer. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest parts of the earth. And then immediately he was taken to heaven. So this morning, I want to just talk about this verse. I want to unpack this. Middle schoolers, I, I forget to say, Mission 910, you guys are staying in. Junior hires, you guys are not staying in. You guys got to go. No room in the inn. Not welcome here. They're like, we didn't want to be here anyways. They have a much better class going on for them. Um, Okay, so, so let's break down that verse. I want to just break it down in kind of its, its three main parts. The first part says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus on that day is talking about eight days before the, the Feast of Pentecost. Now we know this because Jesus was arrested and, and was crucified the day before the Passover. And then we know that the Passover comes 50 days I mean, after 50 days after Passover comes the Feast of Pentecost, and that Jesus, after he died, he rose on that Sunday, and it says he walked among us for 40 days. And so if we do the math, you have about eight days. This is about eight days before Pentecost. This is important because Jesus said, I want you to tarry here. I want you to wait here in the city of Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the disciples were all gathered in this upper room and they were all praying and they were, just, they were just seeking the Lord. And then on the day of Pentecost, it says that the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind and they were all filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were so filled that they were so full of faith and so full of courage, they just spilled out of the upper room and they began to preach and proclaim the gospel. The Bible says that 2,000 people were saved that day because of the, 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 the Spirit-filled preaching and, and, and proclaiming of the excellencies of God that happened that day. And in fact, that's actually what's been happening ever since is that God wants to fill his disciples and empower them with boldness and faith by giving them the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. The people that God has empowered 
with his spirit, that he's gifted with spiritual giftings, that he's forgiven, that he's sanctified, that he's, they have themselves experienced God's love and his freedom. He wants them to go out as witnesses. The word witness in the, in the Greek is the word martus. It means someone who's seen something important. In fact, we use the word witness the same way that they did. A witness is, if you get in a car accident, you want to try to find witnesses so that they can testify about what they saw. If you're going to sign an important document, a lot of times you'll do it in front of witnesses. Or if you're going to uh, uh, enter into a marriage covenant, we, we get invited to weddings in order to witness them make their covenant together. It's not just a big party that we're getting invited to. These are, these are the most important things in life require other people to say, yeah, I remember when you promised that. Yes, I saw that. I experienced that. Well, God says the important thing that, that he has put in the earth, that his gospel, his truth, the realities of God, the truths of his kingdom, he has entrusted to witnesses to go out and to testify about what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. It's interesting. I've always thought it was interesting that God chose human beings in order to entrust this message to just regular people. Like he didn't decide to just put it, make a movie and like shoot it up on the moon every night, right? He could have. He could have done the Jesus film and projected on the, on the thing. He could have put a kiosk in the mall. He could have made a computer program that we all download and we all answer the questions and we all learn from it. That's not how he did it. He entrusted it to people to failed, messed up people in order to be those who he has left as witnesses to his truth and reality. So as the disciples are saying, what's next? Jesus is saying, the next part of the plan, the next part of the mission is for you to go and bear witness to the truths and realities of my kingdom. You know, the, it's interesting that Christianity is, is never more than one generation away from extinction. All that needs to happen for Christianity to go extinct is for people to stop witnessing and sharing the gospel. And yet that hasn't happened. In fact, the gospel has gone and filled the whole world because faithful witnesses have gone out. And that's this next part. It says the process of God filling the whole world with his gospel is that they would go out in, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. If we just take that place by place, first is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not just the capital and the seat of government, seat of power for Israel, but Jerusalem was also the religious capital for, for the Jews. I mean, more, most importantly, the, the temple was there in Jerusalem. The Levitical priests were there in Jerusalem. The high priest was there in Jerusalem. It was the center of religious worship. And so God says, I want you to start here in the city that you're in. I want you to go out and I want you to share the gospel with all these people. Judea was the larger land of Israel. It's like the larger country. And so he says, I want you to go into all Judea. This would have been the other cities, the other towns, the other countrysides. And if it was the Old Testament, it's likely you would have expected Jesus to just stop right there. I want you to go take this gospel. I want you to bear witness to it in all of Jerusalem and all of Judea. But he doesn't. He says, I want you to go into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And it would have been like someone put their nails on a chalkboard. Wait, what? Samaria, what we have to understand is Samaria is, is a neighbor of Israel. In fact, if you look at a map, Samaria is almost in the middle of Israel, Judea. It goes around it. And Samaria at this time were seen as half-breeds. When the Assyrians had come in, they had conquered Samaria 
And they had brought in not just, they were, they were Jews that were living there, and they brought in other people from all these other conquered nations. And over time, the people who lived there began to intermarry. And, and from a Jew's perspective, where they're supposed to come out and be separate and be set apart, to intermarry was sinful. And then they would begin to, to merge their religions. And, and from a Jew's perspective, they had this polluted religion that was unfaithful to the real God. In fact, it was, it was the fact that it was mingled with some truth made it even worse. And so Samaritans were unclean. You didn't want to go anywhere near Samaria. In fact, in, in Israel, if you were coming from the north of Israel to Jerusalem, a straight line would bring you through Samaria. But most religious Jews would go all the way around. It would, it would add a ton of time to their journey so that they could avoid ending up in Samaria. And so when Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and not just all Judea, but all Samaria, what he's pointing to is that this gospel is not limited like, like you have, would have thought in your previous life. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for everyone. And then he says, he says and I want you to take it to the, he doesn't just say to the whole world, he says to the remotest parts of the world. And he's pointing out that he wants this to get into every nook and cranny, every far-flung place, every difficult place to go to. And, and the disciples, that's what the disciples were going to do. They were going to go on long journeys, treacherous journeys, dangerous journeys. Some of them were going to lose their lives because they were going to take this gospel into foreign places that were totally wild and totally foreign. And that's God's plan. He's after the redemption, the reconciliation of the whole world over Jews and Gentiles, men and women, free men and slaves, people from every tribe and nation and tongue, Jesus has come to reconcile to himself. That's the mission that he instituted that day. That was the project going forward, and that's the project we're still working on today to evangelize the whole world. And, and there's actually another model kind of in here in this idea of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth is there's there's sort of, you think about it as concentric circles. J Jerusalem was the city that they were in, and Judea and Samaria were the cities that surrounded them, both the people they got along with and the people they didn't get along with. And then the, the remotest parts of the earth was everywhere else. But it's kind of how evangelism works. It's kind of how witnessing works, is at first we need to witness in our own, our own households, our own homes, those people that are closest to us. You know, a lot of times it's out of order when, you, when, when sometimes people are in ministry and they're going out and doing ministry other places, but when you come and see their actual homes, they don't look like ministries going on there. And so God has called us first and foremost to be faithful right where we're at to the people who are closest to us. But then he's called us to, in the, if the concentric circle goes out, he's called us to be faithful in Judea and Samaria. This would be our friends and our workplaces and, and um, you know, our, our, our coworkers and our neighbors and, and our extended family and the people that we just are around us. You know, so often when we think about evangelism, we think about the guy, you know, holding up a sign, don't go to hell, or kind of with a bullhorn on the corner. I was in, um, on a short-term mission trip um, several years ago in, in New York, and we were on a subway. And one of the guys that we were with, he just got up in the middle of the subway and just started to share the gospel. And the subway's interesting because the subway's underground, and so you can't go anywhere. And, um, and your phones don't work down there too, so you kind of have a captive audience, Right? And, uh, and so he just got up and he started to just kind of yell loud and tell everybody about Jesus. And, and I learned kind of a long time ago that I don't look down on people who do that. I think a lot of times we as Christians, we kind of think, oh no, this is so embarrassing or something. But, but I don't look down because I know people who've gotten saved that way. In fact, there's probably as many ways to get saved as there are people who have been saved. And so people who hand out tracts or, or who, you know, get in people's faces, there's a, 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 a guy I know that, that the way he got saved, he was a Samoan gangster. 
And he's walking down the street and this little scrawny old white guy gets up in his face and says, brother, this is for you. Repent and believe. He gives him a track. He goes, get out of my face. And he steps around and moves on. The guy steps back in front of him and said, hey, this is for you. And that guy ended up picking up, throwing on the ground. That was one of the steps that led him to the Lord. So you never know what's going on. But the reality is that's not how most people get saved. Most people get saved. Most people have people in their life that know them, that have a relationship with them, that love them. This is called friendship evangelism or relationship evangelism. It's not strangers who are yelling at us on the streets typically. Most often it's people that are closest to us who have been praying for us and and have used their relationship in order to, to bear witness to the truth of God. And then the remotest parts of the earth is that that idea of where we're called to be involved in in global missions. And we are, every year we have at this church our Mission Sunday where we we talk about specifically these three missions we support, Youth Venture, Kenya, and Cuba. And we help raise money. And a lot of you guys give monthly to those missions. And, And listen, we are involved in so many more missions than just that. If you go outside these doors and make a right um, you'll see on the wall our mission board. And it gives you just a few of the, of the international missions that our church supports and missionaries that our church supports. And, and we, we are involved and we should be involved. We're gonna continue to be involved in these kind of far-flung places, the remotest parts of the earth. All over this place, our church is having an impact by supporting and loving on missionaries and helping them. But if we're just talking about just our own ability to witness, our primary ability to witness is in the people we have relationships with. And, and the reality is many of us are underemployed when it comes to sharing the gospel. I'm not gonna say unemployed because maybe if God puts it in a nice bow and sets it right in your lap, maybe you'll say something. But a lot of us, we just don't very often share the gospel with people. And there's lots of reasons why. It's one, it can be hard to share your faith. It can be hard for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's unwelcome. Sometimes you'll get in trouble if you try to share your faith in certain places, right? You call HR and you've been talking about Jesus too much or whatever the situation is. There's some environments where it's really unwelcome. Some, some of us, just our personalities, we're shy, we're embarrassed. Maybe you're a little bit insecure about um, your ability to communicate you know, biblical or spiritual truths to people. Sometimes maybe you just, you're, that's an awkward conversation and you're not sure how to even get into it. Many times it's we're spiritually lazy we just don't really care that much about the lost. The, the, the deep realities, the everyday kind of life of, of spiritual life and death are not usually right on the fronts of our minds. And so we just kind of go through life like it's normal business. I was talking to a, a girl recently and she, just, she was really excited because she had just gotten her first job at Starbucks. And she said she was so excited to be able to like, you know, she, had, she was homeschooled and she was a Christian, surrounded by Christians all the time, but she was excited to go to a job where now she's going to have opportunity to share her faith. But she said, it's been really hard because we're all busy the whole time. So there's no like, like everybody's working. So it's not like a, like a real obvious moment to like, hey, can I ask you about your relationship with Jesus, you know? It's like, hey, pass me a mocha frappuccino and whatever, right? So, so she, she just was discouraged by just the realities of that it didn't feel like it was, it made sense. Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. We just don't have any practice with it. But, you know, Jesus explains this is a huge part of what he's called us to do. Look what it says in, look what, I'm sorry, look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Listen to this part. 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One of the reasons you are here, one of the main reasons God has saved you is that so you can proclaim the excellencies of God who rescued you, who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. There is power in your testimony. And God called you to share it. He wants you to share about how excellent, how good God is. And, you, you know, he wants to, he put us here to bear witness to the love that Jesus has for people. He says, for once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. He says, listen, you are a stranger and an alien in this. This is not your home. You are made for something something eternal, something deeper. So don't get comfortable here. Don't start living like everybody else. Don't start engaging in all the things the world does. Don't start engaging, uh, you know, don't try to fulfill your lusts and do live in just this reckless way. I've called you for something better and something deeper than that. He says, keep your, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Listen to this. Listen very carefully. This is so interesting. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, you may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that, that as you try to live for God, there are people who are not interested in hearing it. There are people who are not interested in the message of Christ. They're not interested in the gospel. These are the people who are going to report you, who are going to shut you down, or are going to reject you. And it says something more than that. It says, in fact, as you live for God, they're going to slander you as an evildoer. You're going to try to live rightly and be godly, and they're going to say, you're wicked and evil. They're going to slander you as an evildoer. But here's where it gets really interesting. The situation this is setting up is saying, it says that there's a day coming, though, that if you remain faithful, it says that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's what's interesting about that. You know, God, some of those same people that are totally closed off, they can't see it. They can't hear. The Bible says that unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. When you're talking to them about the gospel, they don't even know what you're talking about. It doesn't make any sense to them. But the Bible says there's a day of visitation. There's a day where God can open a door. He can open people's perspectives for them to see things they've never seen before. You guys, you guys remember in that movie, The Field of Dreams, when uh, the brother-in-law... Um, Kevin Costner goes and he mows down his field and makes a baseball field and there's all these baseball players keep coming from the past, right? And his brother-in-law can't see him and he's like, what are you doing? You're mowing down your cornfields. This is how you provide for your family. And he's yelling at him because he has no idea. He can't see what everybody else is seeing. And then the little girl, she falls off the bleachers and she chokes. And uh, what's that guy? The Moonlight Graham, the guy he went and he, he steps off, he's a doctor and he steps off the field and he goes get it. And then all of a sudden he can see Moonlight Graham and then all of a sudden he looks up and he sees Shoeless Joe Jackson and, and you know, all these other baseball players. And he, could, he couldn't see something that he, he could see something now that he couldn't see before. That's what it's like when the day of visitation comes. The day of visitation is when God unlocks something so that you can actually see something that you couldn't see before. This is what C.S. Lewis talked about. He talked about the great angler in the sky, that, that God is up there like a fisherman. And he's, he's working on people. Or he also says, Lewis also said, he called God the hound of heaven. This is like the, a throwback to the old days when you, you maybe escaped from prison, right? And they would get one of those bloodhounds and they'd get your scent. And once they were on your scent, you're running, but you can hear those bloodhounds are coming. They're coming for you. That's what it's like when God is after you. And so when God is on your tail and he's coming, there's a day of visitation. It says that we should live our lives in a way so that 
people who even when they slander us and even when they reject us, that when their day of visitation comes, it makes sense to them. And they receive the Lord. Jesus said it a different way. He told the parable of, of um, we call it the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, one through nine, it says, that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up and others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. One of the great things about this parable is that Jesus goes on to explain the parable. Later on that day, his disciples said, Lord, what was the deal with the sower and the seeds and the soils? And this is what Jesus says. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And, one of the, and the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Okay, in this parable, there are three characters. Okay, the first character is the seed. I don't know if a seed is a character, but I'm just for the sake of this, it's going to be a character. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the power of the gospel. The seed is God's power to save. Notice the seed contains all what is necessary for life is in the seed. You know, I think sometimes, I think when God invented the world, I think he made seeds to work their work so he could illustrate something spiritual about them. This is what Jesus does here. Think about this. In that one seed... If, if there's just, just one seed, there's, a, there's, there's the potential, there's the power of a thousand trees in one seed, right? If, if you plant that one seed and it grows into a tree, right now at my house, I have in front of my tree, I have an orange tree with 500 oranges on it, right? And each one of those oranges, at one point, that tree came from one seed and each one of those oranges has a bunch of seeds in it. And each one of those seeds has the potential to be other trees. The seed has power, Jesus planted a seed 2,000 years ago and that seed grew up and it's been sending out seeds all over the world. 500 years ago where we're standing, there was a sparsely populated Kumeyaay population. Today, there are thousands of Christians in San Diego who love God. It's because of that one seed. It's because that seed that got planted 2,000 years ago has grown up and borne fruit and that fruit has gone out and planted other seeds and it's continued on. That's the power of the seed. In that one seed, there is power to shape and transform the entire world. The second character is the sower. The sower in the parable, these are the witnesses. This is us. The people that are going out scattering the seeds. The people who are teaching the word of God and who are witnessing and who are telling the truth about Jesus. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Notice that in this parable, the sower is almost barely even makes an entrance. He has such a small role to play, except it's really vital that he plays the role. He doesn't have the power of the seed, and he doesn't have the control of the environment in which the seed goes in. All he's doing is just scattering the seed. 
And, and he's pretty reckless even with that, right? He, you know, the idea of like when you used to have a garden and you put your fingerprint in, you put the seed in there and cover it up. That's not what this guy's doing. This guy's just indiscriminately throwing seed all over the place. Good soil, rocky soil, the path. He doesn't care. Everywhere he goes, you want some seed? Here's some seed. And then there's the soil. The soil says that the environment in which the seed lands is going to be different according to different people. People are in different places. They're, their hearts are in different places. Their circumstances, the environment of their life is different. It affects how they receive the gospel. But the sower is not paying a lot of attention to that. The sower is not spending time, a lot of time trying to identify who's ready for it. Who's good soil? He's just out there. He's giving seed to everybody. He's spreading the gospel everywhere he goes. And so if we're going to be the kind of people who are faithful witnesses to the, to, to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ, that sinners can be saved, that people who are in darkness can be in light, that hopeless people can be found and can receive hope, then how do, we, how do we step that up? How do we do a good job of being faithful? Um, you know, a lot of us, I said that, that many of us are underemployed, and I, I just want to talk for a minute. If you are in that spot where it feels uncomfortable for you or unnatural for you to share the gospel, which is most of us, most of us, there's, there's sort of like a, we don't want to be cringe, we don't want to be whatever, and so we just kind of hold back, is I want to, I want to encourage you with three things. I want to give you three things to remember about sharing your faith that I think will, will help you as we enter into this this season, this month of this challenge to share our faith. The first thing is this. Remember, saving people is God's job. You don't have the power to save anybody. You're not the seed. Saving people is God's job. He's the one, it's his primary responsibility. He's at work in the world. He is calling people to himself. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to Jesus unless God is first drawing them. Okay, now listen, God is generally drawing people, but he also is specifically drawing people. He also, he, he, he's also specifically giving people a day of visitation, an opportunity. He's orchestrating things in their life, circumstances and people in order to call them to himself. Many of these things we're totally unaware of. We don't know about. And so we just have to recognize, God, you're in control of that. If I share the gospel with somebody and they receive it or they reject it, that's not my problem. My, I did my job. That's between you and the Lord. It's so freeing to know that I don't, you don't have to have this weight of responsibility that I have to go get everybody saved. Jesus says that's his job. He's the one in charge of that. Our job is to sow seeds. God invites us to partner with him in order to be a witness. The second thing is, is this, is sometimes... It's awkward to enter into conversations with people. I want to give you just a really simple way that you can talk to people about the Lord, okay? It, it's, it's so simple. I like it because it's just phrased really easy. It's easy to remember. It's their story, your story, his story. Their story, your story, his story. This is a simple, simple way of remembering how to share your faith. First is their story, which is we should generally be willing to listen to people and open to hearing about them. And not just in a way that's like, okay, like, Speed it up, like you were little and then you got big and then, okay, like, I, I want to get on to my story. Like, like, we as Christians, we should just love people. This is a normal thing. And, and people, people are interesting. Like, everybody is interesting. Everybody is, you could go outside and throw a dart and hit somebody and I promise you, that person's going to have an interesting story. 
They just got hit by a dart. They, that part will be interesting, but they have, why do you think what you think? What do you believe? What are the things that shaped you in your life? What are the, the milestones in your life? What are the important things? Everybody is interesting. And so us taking an interest in listening to people and hearing them out and finding out about who they really are and what their story is important. But another thing you're doing when you do that is you're earning the right to be heard. You know, the problem with standing, one of the problems, one of the challenges with standing up on a street corner and, and, and talking into a bullhorn is you haven't necessarily earned the right to be heard. But when you've listened to somebody's story and you've spent time getting to know them and then, and then you transition, you say, hey, can I share with you a little bit of my story? There are very few people on planet earth who will say, no, no, no. We're done here. <laughs> Giving you my story. You take that and chew on it for a little bit and I'll... No, no, they're, they're willing to listen. And, and here's the problem. It's, so often, one of the reasons we don't evangelize is because we're always afraid we're going to run into the person, you know, who's going to say, well, you know, what about radioisotopes, you know? And we're like, oh, I've clear, I'm out of my element, like, back away slowly. Like, we're, we're worried we're going to run into the, the Richard Dawkins of El Cajon, who's just as, like, the atheist who's been waiting with his, all these arguments and that you're totally unprepared for. But I want to tell you something. Here, here's what's great about this method, is there's, there's one thing. You don't have to be an expert in any of this. There's one thing, though, in life that you are clearly an expert on, and that's your story. You know your story better than almost anybody else, most likely, you have your story. You can share your story about what the things that God has done in your life. And listen, the power of story is powerful. The story, your testimony of sharing what it is that God has done in your life is powerful. And, and then you go into his story, which is if, if you're a Christian, your story and his story should be pretty linked up. Your story should flow really naturally into his story. And, and one of the things about his story is, this, look, this has been my experience, but it's not just for me. God wasn't just after me. God is after everyone. He wants to reconcile the whole world to himself. This thing I'm telling you about, grace, salvation, it's not just for me. It's for you too. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that God loves you, that God was willing to die on the cross for your sins and that you might be saved and reconciled to him too. He's your maker. He knows everything about you. He loves you and wants to invite you into a deeper way of living, a fuller life. And so this is, that's the power of story. Story can transform people. One of the things we're gonna be doing over the next couple weeks is we're gonna be kind of just sharing with you guys different stories of people like you and how they got saved and, and what the process was and how people brought them through that, you know, the different people that played a role in that. I wanna show you real quick a video. One of those videos is, is from my friend Miguel. Um, this is Miguel's story about how he got saved and then I wanna make a couple comments about it. Go ahead. I've always, if anything, had a maybe chip on my shoulder because I had a tough life growing up. Um, my uh, my dad was uh, well, my real dad left, and then my stepdad was kind of on drugs, so there was like some beatings, and you know my my parents were doing some bad things, and and God was always there protecting me even through those times. It wasn't until later on in my life that when I was working, I, uh, God placed me with this awesome con construction company. And it, at first it was the owner, the owner uh, asking us to pray over big jobs before we did a concrete pours. And then my coworker, Franco, which uh, I have a kidney disease. So um, I'd have my appointments in my car during COVID. And uh, after 10, 15 minutes, he'd come over, see me in tears and give me a hug and tell me how Jesus could uh, help me. The Lord could heal me. And I would get upset, get mad, you know, because I wasn't a believer at the time. And he'd back off and come back in another two days and try me again. 
And then uh, through working with this company, you know, I, I, I met, uh, who's my, I consider my mom now, Linda. But Linda had the spirit with her and she used to pray over me and tell me about the Lord. And also Franco's mom, every time she sees me, she says, I'm not giving up on you. She says, I'm praying, I'm praying. And then, you know, so this company, uh, God placing me there with the right people around me, started introducing me to a positive side of, of Jesus. I got really sick and I think I was down to like 11% of kidney function. And I just felt death was like knocking on my door. And, and I, by then I started going to church at Foothills and I felt it was really important for me to get right with the Lord and, 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 and do what the Lord has called me to do, which was marry my wife, and uh, which I'm really lucky to have her. And I got married on a Thursday, baptized on a Sunday, and Monday I woke up alive. Before what I used to be sad about uh, having my illness, now I realize the, the purpose of it. I realize that it's to glorify God. And so now everyone comes to me and talks to me, especially at work. And they ask me, how do you able to work 10 hours? How are you here so early? How do you work, you know, uh, Monday through Saturday? And I'm able to tell them it's not due to my strength, it's due to the Lord. The Lord gives me the strength to carry on. You know, one of the things that, that a lot of times we just, there's not enough time to put in all, the whole story, you know, all the different things. And, and so um, uh, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but there's a, we have a podcast called Sent 315, and Miguel has an episode on there. If you want to go listen to it, you can kind of hear the fuller story. But one of the things that's interesting is, is that Miguel had a bad attitude about Christianity and Christians, and he used to drive by our church on the way and just be like, nah, you know, whatever. And, um, and then COVID happened and the lockdowns were happening and he kind of started to get, this, this is all his story. He started to get a little more politically aware of what was going on. And, and, and he just started, like he disagreed with the lockdowns and stuff. And he started, was watching YouTube videos and all stuff. And he started to like realize that like, man, there's a lot of Christians he's agreeing with. And it kind of bothered him. And like, this is God was kind of like getting his attention, you know, and he, he's, he's putting Franco and these other people, these other Christians in his life. And I might get this wrong, so uh, you can correct me, Miguel, if I'm wrong about this, like later, not right now. But um, Miguel said, whatever. But um, he said he said there was all these things, and Foothills just kind of kept coming up. He said he was on a job, and he looked over, and he said he saw a Foothills um, uh, yard sign, and um, and that, we don't have yard signs. Like I don't know uh, if I don't know if somebody here has a homemade yard sign, or um, you, know, you just kind of made it yourself and put it in your front yard, or. Uh, if there was, you know, just a sign that said, you know, like Tim's painting and he saw Foothills Christian Church, you know, um, the, whatever, the Lord was after him. The Lord was making a way. And, and think about Franco. Think about how Franco would go and pray for him and he'd be like, get out of here. I don't want it. I'm not interested. And Franco would think, all right, I'll come back in a couple of days. You know, like that kind of persistence, that kind of attitude to bear witness and be a witness of the goodness of God is powerful. The story, your story, your testimony is powerful. Here's the, here's the third thing is, is what is success in evangelism? We have to make sure we understand. Sometimes we think I have to, um, you know, I want okay, if this conversation doesn't end in us saying the sinner's prayer and me leading you to the Lord and you becoming fully on a Christian, that somehow we failed. That's not, that's not what success in evangelism is. There's something called the Engel scale. So my, my third thing is help people take one step up the Engel scale. Engel is, is a scale that it was a, a model that's named after a guy, Engel, who came up with this. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Um, this is, with anything, there's lots of people come different ways. This doesn't represent how everybody comes, but there's some general principles in here 
of, of how people come to the Lord. So if you look down, I don't know if you can read it, but if you look down at number one, it says no awareness of God. Then number two is some awareness of God, contact with Christians, interest in Jesus, investigating Jesus, grasping the truth about Jesus, understand implications of the truth about Jesus, acceptance of Christian truth, accept, accept implications of becoming Christian. Then number 10 is decision to surrender to Jesus. And then it goes on after that of all the different steps that are, you know, um, uh, Gaining confidence in your decision, experiencing life change, growing in sanctification, all these kinds of things that, that happen. And so one of the things I think that we need to understand is that salvation is oftentimes, most often, a process. It happens with lots of little steps. And so our job as witnesses, what we're after is just helping people take one step towards God. Maybe they don't, maybe they, maybe it reject, maybe it, it, the conversation ends like, like Franco and Miguel's conversation with you feeling like oh, he is definitely not interested and yet maybe he just has a little more awareness or a little more curiosity afterwards, right? That's, that's part of this process. So as we go out to kind of witness to people and share, we want to just help people take one step. This is what, this is what uh, Paul points to this when he says in, in 1 Corinthians 3.6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, right? Sometimes you're planting a seed. Sometimes you're watering. Sometimes you're just breaking up the fallow ground in order to get the soil ready for a seed. Sometimes you're pulling weeds that are around the seed, right? Sometimes you're pruning, but, but that process, it says that God is over all of it, and we just have our little part to play. I want to invite the band up here. So when you came in here this morning, you should have gotten um, this workbook right here. I want to talk to you about what this is. We told you guys we're starting a challenge for the month of February and to be intentional about sharing our faith with people. Okay, now listen, just real quick to clarify, this challenge doesn't end when February is over, okay? So this is like just the lifetime challenge of Christians, but we wanna just set aside a time where we're mobilizing as a church, encouraging ourselves as a church to be really intentional about sharing our faith. And so we wanna give you guys some resources on how to do that. At the end of February, it just so happens that my turn in the rotation of preaching here is again at the end of February. Um, we're going to have, I'm going to preach a message that weekend that is specifically geared towards unbelievers, and we're going to share the gospel. There's going to be an opportunity for people to receive the Lord. This is not a challenge to get everybody to come to that service, okay? This is a challenge for you in your own way, in your own life, to be sharing your faith with the people that God has put in your life. But if the Lord opens a door, you can know that weekend, we're not going to be teaching on tithing. We're not going to be teaching on some other thing that you're always afraid that when you bring somebody to church, that this is what they're going to be talking about, you know? You just know we're going to be talking about the gospels. We're going to do a service with them in mind, okay? So that's coming up. But in this booklet you have here, on the first couple pages, you're going to have what's called um, uh, an evangelism style test. Okay, it's kind of like a personality test. It's a bunch of questions you're going to answer, and then you score it yourself. And it'll, it'll give you one of six categories or multiple categories that maybe are your strengths in evangelizing. What's, what, the, what we did with this test is you go through in the Bible, and you can see different people have different ways and different scenarios of sharing their faith. Some people are confrontational. Some people are analytical. I scored 100% on analytical. That means I want to talk about radioisotopes. I want to fight about radioisotopes, right? That's my style. Some of you guys are like, not interested, right? Some of you guys, it says that there's, there's different gifts, come and see, or servant communicator. These are people who I just want to love you with the love of God, and, and that's partly how I'm witnessing to you is by serving you and loving you. Some people are, are inviters. They want to come and see, hey, come with me to this thing. I want you to come with me. 
So there's different styles, and it gives you kind of some different ideas of what the strengths of that style are, what some things you need to be aware of and be careful about, and, and it will help you. Then if you look at the back of this, there's a prayer list to um, how to pray for, for yourself, how to pray for your friend, and then there's this, these, these forms that says impact list. This is where if there's people, maybe they're people that God has put on your heart that you already feel burdened for, or maybe they're just people that you think, I should share the gospel with that person. That's my neighbor, that's my coworker, whatever it is. This helps you to, to be intentional about writing their name down and then coming up with a little bit of a plan. Here's the plan. My neighbor, when they take their trash out, I'm gonna run and take my trash out, okay? And as we're taking our trash out, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a time that I'm trying to have a little cute meet with my neighbor, right? Hey, neighbor, I see you also like to take your trash out. <laughs> then has an opportunity for like, what's a possible transition statement, you know? Have you considered your eternal state? You know, whatever, I don't know. That's probably a bad one, but, but however your plan is on, on how am I gonna try to work the conversation towards something su of substance, something that lets them know I care. I'm, I'm baking a loaf of bread, I'm gonna bake two, and I'm gonna take one to my neighbor to be intentional about just creating opportunity or creating space. So here's what I want you to do with it. I would love for you to take this home and take the test, okay? And then begin to think about who are some of the people. Here's what I really want. Here's what we really want, is for you to take this this week to your home group, okay? Your home group pastors are prepared. They have some more resources. And we're gonna go through this test and try to look at some of the different styles and then help you begin to pray, not just you praying for that person that's praying for each other, but, but get more people to pray on the situation. Now, some of you guys, you don't go to a home group. And I wanna say, this is a great time to go, okay? We, listen, home groups are a really essential part of our church. We have always said, we are not a church with home groups, we are a church of home groups. We don't have official church membership. One of the ways you become a member of our church is you get involved in a home group, okay? So this is really important. And so here's what a home group is. A home group is a small Bible study that either meets at a house or meets here at church, and that um, that's where you're primarily gonna get pastored, you're primarily gonna get encouraged, you're primarily gonna get known, you can ask questions, you can do all that kind of stuff. The way you get involved is on our app or on our website. We have a whole list of all of our home groups. They're spread out all across San Diego. They're spread out all across different days and times of the week. Um, there are also different groups. Like if you're at a, you know, at a place in your life where you're older, we have older groups, we have younger groups, all that kind of stuff. If you go out here, there's a, if you go left, there's our missions board. But if you go right, there's our home group board. And that will give you, it, it kind of is really easy, really intuitive to look through and see what might be a good home group for you to go check out. This might be a great week to come visit. Just bring this with you. And if you didn't bring it, they'll, they'll have a couple extra for you and it'd be really good for you to do. The other thing I just want to say is we have um, uh, just one other resource I want to make you aware of is, is Kevin Miller has a podcast called Sent 315. That's the one I was telling you about. It's all about evangelism. It's all about people that, it primarily is people just like you who who have, are out there trying to share their faith and they have stories of success and stories of failure and it's all just really good information and really good encouragement. So if you're looking for just some extra reading things, you're working out, you're, you're on your way to work, I encourage you to listen to it because it will encourage you to fulfill this mission that we have.